thing that I see out there a lot is fear, right? Um, a lot of people are starting to recognize that this transition is going to be important, but they may have been network engineers for a decade, right? And they've got a CCIE number with only four digits in it. And they've been, they, they think fondly of the day when they took their IE exam and they could rapidly type out in notepad all the CLI. And, and now they find themselves back at the beginning of a, of a journey inside of network automation. You're listening to the AngleFreeIT.com podcast. IT career and culture advice without an angle. And now your host, the guy who is driven crazy on a daily basis from outsourced recruiters, Preston Kilburn. Hey there, navigators. So today I am meeting with Hank Preston, who has an awesome last name. Um, and... Um, Hank has a super cool job. So Hank is a net DevOps evangelist with Cisco DevNet. He's come from, you know, a long, long, a longer career, you know, kind of stepping into this role. I, I sort of stalked him on LinkedIn a little bit. He started out um, doing some server stuff and then moved into networking and then, uh, you know, moved into Cisco. So I'm not going to tell his story. I'm going to let Hank tell his story to us. So, hey, welcome, Hank. Hey, thanks. Preston, you have an awesome first name. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fond of it. I'm fond of it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, okay, so, you know, in a couple minutes, tell us your origin story. Like, like how did you fall into this net DevOps role? Like, how did you become what you do now? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question, and it's actually I have a fairly unique, I would say, background um, from the folks that I've talked to in IT. So I actually didn't start out in IT originally. Um, I came into it after spending some time in um, professional theater and I, I, technology as far as theater goes. So I've got a background actually in psychology and entertainment technology, and I did that professionally for a couple of years. Um, but what was interesting is that's a night job, not a day job. And so I had all of these hours to fill um, before like shows would go on and things like that. And so I started taking classes at just the local community college in technology and just kind of whatever fit into the schedule. And I found that I, I found web design and databases and, and programming and networking and kind of anything that I could go through really interesting. And so uh, after, before too long, I noticed that the, both the hours and the pay were a bit better in technology. And so I made the switch over um, to kind of doing the full-time gig in technology. And, and then, as you mentioned, I kind of had this very um, serpentile route through the IT field. I, I started like most of us did kind of in the entry-level field of kind of basic break-fix work and with professional services and small um, VARs and whatnot, kind of doing a bit of everything that they would throw at me. So my first couple of years in IT, I would do uh, one day might be uh, a Microsoft server installation, and then the next day could be Citrix, and then I was standing up VPNs between different sites. And so what I, I look back fondly on those years because it gave me this really wide exposure to a bunch of different pieces of IT and technology. 
And then as time went on and I started to focus in, I began to focus in specifically kind of in the networking space um, after drifting towards infrastructure away from the programming pieces on that side. And then uh, with the the focus into the networking area, it was it was only a matter of time, obviously, with with Cisco being as kind of strong in the networking space traditionally as it always has been. Um, mm-hmm. I drifted kind of into the Cisco certification world, so I worked my way through CCNA and NP and all the way up to IE. And I had a chance to join Cisco as a systems engineer in, in a pre-sales role, helping enterprise customers kind of build and design and deploy kind of WANs and data centers and all those areas. And then that was uh, a ton of fun. Um, And I found kind of a bit of a calling in the data center space specifically. And so this was, let me think, uh, would have been somewhere, I don't know, six-ish years ago, I started to drift specifically into data centers. And that was around the same time, I would say, that cloud and automation became really strong everywhere, um, or at least it kind of hit my own uh, area as I was going through, which which gave me an area to reach back into my own history with software development and servers and understanding applications. And so I was I was tapped fairly early on to, to focus in on cloud and automation strategies and hybrid cloud and, and where applications were going and how they kind of related to the, the future of IT. And so I, even inside of Cisco, I, I came here to focus in networking concepts, but very quickly realized that kind of there's a much bigger world than that. My background was really well suited kind of into the programmability and automation space. And so I I started to hone in and specialize just in cloud and automation technologies, what fits into that space, and then did that for a couple of years, and then kind of had an urge to go back to my roots in the networking area as I saw network programmability and SDN and all these things start to really solidify and and have this big kind of uptick in, in changing the way network engineering and network engineering as a field was going through. And I decided that the time was right to kind of focus specifically on that, which is what brought me to DevNet, was I joined the DevNet team with, with one mission, and that was really to help network engineers make this transition into network automation and programmability and, and understanding kind of how DevOps was going to relate into the networking space um, and just make that easier. Because I look around and, and I talk with customers and partners and, and new students and kind of anybody in the networking space. And, and the questions I get a lot is, how do I get started? And, and are certifications still relevant? And do I focus in on Python or do I focus in on BGP? Like, where do we go? And these are all really good questions. And, and the answers to the questions aren't necessarily known or, or well easy to figure out. Um, and so I decided, you know, it'd be kind of fun to help shape and, and provide material and, and, and make that an easier journey for folks that are, that are trying to figure out how this path goes. Okay. So, so I want to touch on something that you said, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, as somebody who recently did something very similar to you, I do SDN for VMware. Yep. Um, I was really, really hesitant, right? Because I, my whole life, not my whole life, but, you know, a lot of my experience up until when I transitioned over to doing SDN was, hey, I know my... I know my 1001X router and I know my 5585 and I know my this and I know my that. And um, those things are never going to go away, 
But the funny thing is, I started to read about these people starting to automate it, and I'm like, oh no, oh, I might, I might not be relevant in a few years. Mm. Um, and I'd already gone through that with a phone system in, back in the day. So I, I started. Do you, do you remember um, back in the day? So you worked for Cisco, and I don't. I know you're not in voice, but you know, in the collab field. Their biggest competition that wasn't asterisk was a phone system called the NBX. Um, and thankfully for Cisco, it got bought by another company and completely destroyed. Um, but uh, it was no longer relevant once Call Manager came out. And I had to go through that transition. Um, so I guess my question is, is, you know, what are some of the common concerns that people have about transitioning out of, hey, I'm doing networking and I want to go into, you know, I want to go into automation and, and network automation. Like what are the common questions they have and, and some of the quick high level answers for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that transition, and, and I, I joke a bunch about the transition that the voice engineers had to do, right? They all had to go through this, and whether it was pick a voice over IP platform, or, or even before that, if it was, hey, I used to do uh, Definity systems and, and punch down tools and butt sets for my tool set, and then yeah. now it's IP, right? So this is the, the change in IT and the change in the field is, is not unique to networking, right? We're just the, the latest folks going through it. I would say that the the biggest question or just thing that I see out there a lot is is fear, right? Um, a lot of people are starting to recognize that this transition is going to be important, but they may have been network engineers for a decade, right? And they've got a CCIE number with only four digits in it, and they've been kind of doing their their ASR routers or their their OSPF multi-area configs and they, they think fondly of the day when they took their IE exam and they could rapidly type out in notepad all the CLI and, and now they find themselves back at the beginning of a, of a journey inside of network automation. And there's all of these new topics, things like programming skills and whether it's Python or some other language and API, understanding APIs in these areas. And, and the thing that I think I see the most is just kind of these deer in the deer in the, the headlights views of just where do I start? But that's even after they get away from, they get beyond the fact that they're just, they don't want to start, right? The denial phase of not going through. And so I think that that's, that's the biggest one is just, I've been doing this. I've been a specialist. I understand it. I, I'm a senior network engineer. And now I'm, I'm back at an introductory level class. And I haven't had to do that in 10 years and remembering how to get started. And the best advice I usually give folks is, is leave, leave the ego at the door a bit when you get started and remember that when you got into networking, you were new there too. And you had to learn binary um, and figure out how subnets worked. Uh, and you're, you're back at that same phase. And, and maybe it's been a while since you've had to go through an introductory level topic of anything, but use it as an area of excitement, right? We all, we all got into technology in general because we like learning things and solving problems. And this is just a new area to go through on that. And just remember that, there's a there's a quote that I, I picked up from a meme someplace and it's basically like the um the first step or, or what was it it's it's sucking at something is the first step of being kind of good at something and just remembering <laughs> that 
<laughs> That's awesome. We all have to start at the beginning, right? You, me, everybody had to start out. And um, yeah. it's just be willing and be excited and, and try new things out and explore technology and go yeah. buy yourself an introduction to programming book or something, but, but get going. So, okay. So let's, let's touch a little bit about, okay. So you call yourself self the net DevOps evangelist. What are some of the things that you teach people to do and go through automating? It's a great question. So I've spent, um, I, the last, I'd say, year or so, trying to provide um, a foundation-level set of material to help people kind of get into this net DevOps journey. And so it, we have to start at the beginning. Before we can dive into robust, continuous development or CICD strategies or how do I, how do I model uh, my network intent using some open-source configuration management tool or a, a commercial vendor tool that's in there, there's a set of just foundation skills that people need need to understand. So what is what is a data format and, and what is an API and all of those areas that go through. And so a lot of the time I spend these days is trying to give people this, this foundation level of just basic fundamental knowledge around network programmability so they can then build on top of it. Um, and so I, we recently launched the, uh, a multi-video course that called Network Programmability Basics. And, and I usually joke that my goal is really just to help network engineers like it jump ahead two months in their journey if you decide that you want to go all in and understand network automation and programmability there's a ton you have to learn across the wide breadth of topics and so what i'm trying to do is to help give people kind of a curated set of a place to start right run through these pieces give give yourself a nice foundation and then based on what you learn in the foundation the challenges you're having at work the specific questions that you're 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 being posed you then have you can then dive deeper into topics that are relevant in that space so that's a lot of what I've spent the last year doing is kind of giving this nice foundation layer for people to build from. I'm looking forward to kind of the next year where I can start to build on top of that and have deeper resources and deeper topics around, um, let's say, microservice uh, application networking or deeper um, areas around configuration management and, and network pipelines of the future and things like that. But, but a lot of what I do today is still very much kind of at that foundation skill because there's still a huge need for that in our audience. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. I know what these are, but I am certain that a bunch of my audience is not going to know. Can you define CICD and a network pipeline? Because I think that's pretty crucial to understanding the last statement that you made. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. And I try really hard not to, to, to try to define as I talk, but that's a good call out. So CICD um, stands for lots of different things, but kind of the easiest one to go through is continuous integration, continuous delivery, and continuous deployment. And yes, it probably should be CICD, CD. It's just easier to say it with just four letters. And it's part of, it's kind of the, the acronym representation or the letter representation of a software development practice called continuous development. And if we think about how applications are designed from actual developers building code and then turning into something that can be deployed or installed by an end user, um, there's, there's three basic phases necessary. 
application developers write a bunch of code. And most applications have lots of developers working on different parts of the application. And so they all have their, their bits of code. And so the first step after the developers do their piece is the integration phase where everybody's code is pulled together into a single thing and, and assembled together and tested to make sure that that application works. And so that's the integration phase. Um, after we have ideally a working set of code and application, it needs to be packaged up so that it can be um, delivered, right? And so that's the delivery phase. And so the packaging phase usually uh, consults or consists of building maybe a, a Docker image if it's a microservice, or maybe it's an OVA file or a, an MSI executable, or it's just whatever the application is that needs to be built to be assembled. And then once it's been delivered, then you have deployment. And that's where somebody actually takes that artifact that was built and then installs it and configures it to do whatever it needs to do. And so the integration delivery deployment pipeline is something we've had always, right? There's always been this, but it's been a manual effort. There's integration engineers, people that do that step and packaging and then operations engineers. Continuous development or CICD is this concept that came out as part of kind of the DevOps transition that says rather than having these be manual steps that are that take a lot of time, that take our, our human resource intensive, let's use automation and tooling to do each of those same steps in a continuous fashion. And so when developers check in their code to their repositories, think Git or GitHub, continuous integration would grab all the code, bring it together in an automated fashion, run testing automatically, continuous delivery would then take that functioning code, package it up appropriately and put it wherever it needs to be put so that it could be gotten to be installed. And then continuous deployment would be where that uh, that artifact that was built in the continuous delivery phase is potentially automatically deployed and installed uh, as it goes through. And so that's the, the CICD pipeline is that automation framework. Now, when I talk about a network configuration pipeline, it's the same type of idea. We have a way that we take network configurations today and deploy those into a running network. And I usually, I have a, a graphic I represent, which is kind of just this, this tangled web of pipes that are leaky all over the place that represent today's network configuration pipeline because it's yeah. it's one of these things that's kind of a gut feeling we all basically know how we configure our network we have rules of thumb about kind of what process we go through and how many fellow engineers have to look at our notepad template and what approach we use and, and some automation might happen but in general it's it's not a very stringent or or well-articulated or well-understood pipeline, but it, it exists, right? We have to take a network configuration and turn it into a running network configuration. What I look for as part of this net DevOps journey is this evolution to a new, much more well-articulated and understood network configuration pipeline that builds on some of the same theories that we have that the software development pipeline has. Mm -hmm. And so we take our network configurations and we come up with a way that we can, we can integrate all the elements of the network configuration and then deploy it so that it can be tested in some sort of a, a typical virtual network or a test network someplace. And then we have a way to deliver that so it's made ready for use in a production fashion and then ideally automatically deployed into production inside of change windows, most likely at least initially, and 
pushed out. And so when I talk about a network configuration pipeline, it's the goal is to have a, a much more software development inspired pipeline and much less this organic uh, manual effort powered by Red Bull and Mountain Dew at 3 a.m. and somebody cutting and pasting from notepad into a terminal window and crossing their fingers. They don't hit buffer overflow issues and, and all the rest of it. And so that's, that's part of this journey into net DevOps is trying to get ourselves in that same direction and away from the old manual fashion. That makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. The, uh, Oh man, the 3am Red Bull flashback. I'm, I'm having a little bit of, change window PTSD thinking about, uh, I, I took a break from consulting to work at, uh, one of my customers and, um, man, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't miss that. I don't miss that, that, uh, that time. It was, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I would say that it's, it's one of those things that most of us recognize that that's not a good thing, but we also have a bit of like the badge of honor talking yep. about like, Hey, we were up at 3 a.m. and we went through, it was 12 hours of change window and we had this issue and we fought through it and aren't, aren't we awesome? And yeah, I mean, we've, we've all got those. I've got plenty of my own stories of where I saved the day after some error that may or may not have been my fault in the first place, right? But, but that's really not a good thing, right? I would much rather get to a point where change windows are regular and routine and well understood. And, and honestly, I would much rather have when my name comes up in front of an executive in my organization that they really, unless I happen to run the IT organization, I don't want them to know my name because I've popped up on some like after, after event report or, or yeah. deep dive into what went wrong and how are we going to solve it the next time? Like I used to joke that I was doing my job the best when I worked at a hospital um, in a previous role, if nobody knew my name. Right. If nobody knew who I was, that was a good thing. That means the network was working and the network didn't have issues. But if the CEO knew my name as I walked down the hallway, odds are good there, there may not be a good reason for that. It's true. That's true. Well, and I, I think <laughs> I, I don't know that that is necessarily a requirement to completely appreciate the automation, but mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, once once you've been through a big gnarly change and you're like there's got to be a better way to do this. That was just stupid. Like <laughs> I, you know, I you know, we, we I was talking about um you were talking about ASRs and I don't remember what I did, but I I accidentally deleted, thank God we had uh, dual egress, but I accidentally deleted um, some BGP stuff off of one of our routers. And it was because it was 3 a.m. and I had been working since like, you know, 10 p.m. and it was late, and, uh, you know. And oh man, and, and now having an automated way to do that where, you know, it's like I pushed go, it's scheduled. I have a robot to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, Yes, so it's a much better place. So let's let's talk robots. Let's talk. Okay, I'm looking down the line, and I'm a network engineer, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do this automation thing. I'm an influencer, and I know the skills right now. Obviously, it's a development, right? But once you get to the point where you want to sort of automate your network, like, what are some of the tools that people can start learning, right? Like, so I'm I'm a huge fan of. If you live in a big area, most people are going to learn much better by doing and seeing other people 
do this and like actually talking to humans. Mm-hmm. So I tell people to go to meetups and go to stuff like that. So, so what are some tools and some user groups that you can recommend people go to, to like immerse themselves in this you know, world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say I have similar, similar suggestions. Actually this, this evening I'm headed off to a, 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 a network users group here in Ohio. Um, Cause okay. I'm a member of a handful of them there for the same reason to talk to fellow network engineers, kind of hear from other folks about what's going on. And, and I think that's, that's a great thing to do is to, to head over to meetup.org or com. I can't remember which one it is. Do a search in your area for DevOps or programmability user groups or just any topics and just get out there and, and chat with folks and see what else is going on. I, th- I think that that's a great way to go through and, and figure out what's, um, what other people are doing uh, and learn about the tools that your coworkers are using, um, uh, specifically to the tools that are there. What I think that... Um, I think we were talking about this a bit before you hit the record button that started, but one of the, one of the, the comments I get from a lot of folks is, but there's, there's so many things, which one do I use? Which one do I pick? How do I know whether it's this open source project or that open source project? And part of the answer I have is, well, the first thing you need to realize is that you may spend two months of your life learning a tool, working with a tool, and then immediately realizing that it's not the right tool. Mm-hmm. And you see that that two months was not a waste, right? It was, you've learned something new. You now have a good understanding and opinion about maybe why that tool is not the right tool for you. And I hate to go back and use the cliche quote from Einstein, but it fits, right? Every, every failure you have or every lesson that you learn, even if it wasn't a success, you, you pick something up. And so I generally tend to tell folks, um, you're either going to take a, a, a deep or a wide start. And, and I've done both of these where I go, I, I picked a tool and say, okay, this one seems to be hot right now in the space. I'll pick that language or I'll pick that tool and I'll go really, really deep and get really good at it. And, um, and then decide, okay, does this make sense? Do I continue or do, do I throw it away? Um, or you can go wide and say, you know what, there's, there's 10 different tools that are in this space. And I'm going to go learn a bit about each one of them, uh, not become an expert, but just learn a bit about each one of them and then figure out w- which way to go and which one to go deeper into. I don't know which strategy is better. I tend to go use the deep one far more than often. Um, and so, for example, I've, I've gone deep in on Python as a programming language. It's clearly not the only one that's out there. There are tons of other great ones. But I think from a networking perspective, it was a good choice to go deep in that space. That said... I don't know a ton about Go, but that's becoming quite popular in different areas and popping up all over the place or Ruby, but I've been happy with that. On the configuration management open source spectrum, so these are the tools like uh, Puppet or Chef or Ansible or Salt. I've done a bit of both in this. I, I started out with a with a bit of a wide and tasted a little bit of Puppet and Chef and tried Ansible out. And then at least short term, um, I kind of honed in on Ansible as a great network configuration management tool because of a, a variety of reasons that fits really well in that space. And I've kind of gone in deep on that one to go through. Um, and then at the same time, there are plenty of, of commercial tools coming out from vendors like VMware from you guys and then Cisco on our side that fit into these same areas. So the other one to recognize is you can't, I think the future of the, the net DevOps toolkit that we have that we use to manage our network is going to be a combination of open source tools as well as kind of commercial vendor products that go through. But to figure out what your own tool set is going to look like is going to take a bit of experimentation to figure out what 
what solves different needs and then where are the gaps that one tool has so that you can then fill that with some other tool that's there. The, the, the myth of the one tool to rule them all or the single pane of glass, I think, continues to be a myth, uh, despite the fact that we're all looking for that unicorn, it's never going to be found. And so assembling your own kind of toolkit and, and toolbox that you use is going to be something that adjusts over time as, as new products and new things come through. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, and I, I, I echo your don't go searching for unicorns <laughs> because uh, it, it's challenging to try and, you know, shoehorn something in um, when it's like, you know, this just doesn't work, right? Like there's this other thing over here that does – it sucks at everything else, but it is great at this one thing. Mm-hmm. Just use that one thing, right? Um, so, okay, cool. Um, tell me a little bit more about you uh, and, you know, disclaimer, right? Like I'm just talking to Hank. I'm not like, I don't know what to say, what the right words are, but like, I'm not an affiliate of Cisco, you know, by any means, but um, tell us a little bit more about this, you know, intro training thing. Like how do people get that? How do they find it? Oh yeah. So, so it's the network programmability basics video course and and I'll shoot you over the link and you can include it, I guess, in the description for folks that may want to go to it. But if you just go to uh, DevNet, which is developer.cisco.com and then up underneath discover, there's a link for the video course that goes through. And so this is a, it was just launched in January and it's, set of 28 videos organized into six modules. Um, and each video is, is about 20 minutes. Some are a bit longer, some are a bit shorter, depending on the topic that goes through. And it's the modules take you through kind of, as I stated, this, this what I thought was a good foundation level journey around network programmability. And so there's a programmability fundamentals module leads it off. And so we answer questions like, what is a data format? And, and how is that different than what I've done in the past? And talks about YAML and JSON and, and then introduces APIs as a concept and then does a deeper dive into REST APIs. Um, there's three video lessons in there on Python for network engineers. It is Those videos are not intended to kind of teach you Python and turn you into an expert, but basically introduce you to the concepts and kind of things that you should be aware of as you look at other people's Python scripts or as you follow along in the rest of the videos that go through. And so just again, lay a foundation that goes in. And then with the programming fundamentals out of the way, then the modules dive into networking topics. And we start with a look at network device APIs. We then move into network controllers. We take a look at application hosting technology. So the ability to run applications or code in the network. And then the last module is DevOps, where we introduce configuration management to kind of the future of kind of how network configurations might be done. And so I think that there's about nine or 10 hours total of videos. Um, Each video is accompanied by code samples and then um, that you can then follow along with the exercises I do in the videos. I point you at a specific DevNet sandbox, which are our uh, freely available infrastructure that uh, anybody can grab and use and experiment with different Cisco technology as well as open source technology that goes through. And so you can then follow along with those same exercises to run in and see how it goes through. 
and the video course is completely free. They're, all the videos are there and available. You do need to register and, and have a Cisco DevNet login so that you can get access to it. But once you get that free account, you can log in and, and check out all the videos that go through. And then we've got a, um, a chat room. So if you've got questions as you go through the videos or just want to talk about something in general, you can join the chat and talk with myself and other folks from Cisco, as well as partners and customers and, and people on this journey together. And they just explore what's going on in the videos kind of as you start your journey into network programmability. Very cool. Very cool. That's uh, you, you answered my question for me. My next one was, well, you have to pay for it. Cause so when I talk to people, um, and I spent a lot of time sort of working with my audience and, and, you know, I guess, you know, building that and developing them. And I spent a lot of time on Reddit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one thing I kind of want to talk about, and, you know, I have my opinions on this, but I, I'm kind of curious on your take. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to take more Cisco tests because they're expensive and, you know, it's frustrating and I, I hate certs and, you know, I, Tell me a little bit, and I, this is, I'm disclaimering this for you. <laughs> These are probably your opinions, not necessarily Cisco's opinions, but tell, tell my listeners, like, does it make sense to continue down the cert grind, you know, to get an IE or multiple IEs or multiple NPs, you know, to do all that stuff still? Is that still relevant my opinion is currently yes i think it is because stuff goes wrong and not everybody is at this place yet but yep. what what is your take yeah so and this is definitely hank's opinion as it goes through but but i think the short version is certifications are relevant today for the same reason they've been relevant in the in the past is if you go after the certification simply because you want a job and that job has a hard requirement for a certification, that's fine. And if go down that path and that's a great way to get it. But I think that the, the real value of certifications and, and the value I got out of it was the knowledge that I learned in going through the journey of, of learning what it took to, to take and pass the certification exam that went through. Um, and so I did go through a, a robust set of the Cisco certifications. I also did Microsoft certifications, some VMware ones. So I, I've, I've done a bunch of them and I don't regret doing any of them. And I, I expect and I will do continue to do certifications in the future as they go through to learn topics because I think the certifications give you a nice kind of roadmap to figure out topics that are relevant. Now the certification on its own is clearly not enough and it's never been enough. Simply having a, a CCNP did not give you all of the background knowledge or the intuition or the life experience to be a, let's say level two network engineer um, at an organization. It was a starting point. And so I, I say the certifications continue to be a starting point. Go through those, grab a bit of information, and then supplement that with day-to-day -day work, with exploration of other topics that go through, and kind of continue to combine your own experience that goes in. Now, all that said, there are plenty of organizations today that don't value certifications in their hiring practice, That and there's there's plenty of discussions with in discussion boards and Twitter threads and all sorts of stuff where people are scoffing and at the certifications that are out there. And I think that that's, they've taken a bit of a, a cynical hard push in a direction. If you work in an organization that is, their entire network is built kind of at the cutting edge and they're 
they're running bleeding technologies and and dusting off like um, checking out the latest open source projects and looking at the latest in standards and like really pushing the pressure on the vendors to support these different pieces then yeah having having a certification is probably not terribly relevant in the stuff that you need day to day but the vast majority of us are not working in those organizations that are pushing that far at the bleeding edge um, and so the certifications will give you a, a good foundation of what's there, but you, you do need to keep your eyes open with, with other stuff that's out there. Um, a question I get a lot, I just got back a couple of weeks ago from Cisco Live uh, Europe in Barcelona, and I talked with a lot of folks and they kept, the question kept coming up through is, do I keep going on the certification path or do I go learn Python? And the general answer I give to folks is you really kind of need to do both, right? Um, if you're in the middle of prepping for a certification exam, go finish it. Don't waste the time you put into that. But when that's done, maybe then go spend uh, a month learning a programmability skill, diving deeper into another topic and go back and forth. Because I think the strongest network engineers in the future will have a, a good broad, um, set of skills that came out of core networking skills that that still you can get a lot of those from certifications, right? You still need to understand BGP and how that works. And, and I, I joke a lot about it, but spanning tree is still ridiculously relevant and understanding yeah. how it goes through. So we need those skills, but we also need skills about how uh, basic automation works and how Linux functions and these other things. And, and some of that stuff you can get from certifications. They just may not be Cisco certifications, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon's got a robust set of certification skills about building and managing networks inside of their cloud. If your organization is going really all in on the Amazon cloud, then having those certifications will give you the skills that are needed. Google's got their version. Um, there, there are tons of ways to learn material. Certifications don't have to be the only one you use, but I think that there's still a huge value in grabbing them. Okay. So do you, and I'm, I'm asking you a question, just your opinion, because you may or may not know the answer to this. <laughs> I know you guys had CCNP Cloud. Mm -hmm. I still have CCNP Cloud, and I may know people who have written test questions for that recently. Um, <laughs> but um, is that... It, can we kind of expect to see more from Cisco in the future in that direction? Like, is that going to be like, is there ever, and I, I realize you're not a program manager and you're not in education and all that stuff, but right. gut instinct. I mean, is there going to eventually going to be like some kind of CCIE cloud or CCIE automation thing? Yeah, so so disclaimer, right? So I'm I'm one of the authors on the Cisco Press CCNA Cloud book, one of the books, and so oh, nice. keep that in mind as it goes through. Yeah, it was it was a it was a fun experience to actually write a book. It was the first one I did, and I learned a bunch about the process. Um, and so I, I think that the the cloud specific track inside of um, the certification space, I, I don't think it's going anyway, going away, just based on kind of the, the histories it goes through, but. But I, I don't know what the future of that track is, mostly because oh, my dog is going nuts. Sorry for that. It's always the dogs, man. The dogs are always the ones. I'll, I'll start to re-answer the question, um, so maybe you can edit out the my my dog going nuts on that. Um, <laughs> or at least part of it. So so the I'll pause for a second. So 
the the cloud track inside of the certifications, I, I don't know the specific future of it. I expect it won't go anywhere. I expect we'll continue to see some some innovation in that space. Um, I don't know the details because of two factors. I'm not in that part of Cisco, as well as the fact that most of my focus these days is in kind of the network programmability space. Yeah. And so in the network programmability space around certifications, I know that we've got a couple of certification exams that go through. And then more than that, programmability skills are being added into every other typical certification. So if you go take a route switch exam today, there are basic programmability skills you need to pass the CCNA route switch. The CCIE exams have been adding in programmability skills for a while. My personal opinion is they're not doing it as fast as they need to, but we're starting to see programmability get pulled into all of the exams across kind of the the certification spectrum. Um, I would love to see um, a certification focused wholly in on network automation and programmability skills. Though I say that while at the same time, I'm like, well, what would be in that certification rather than just having kind of it intermingled in with the, the networking topics. So I don't know where, where it'll head, but, but definitely we're seeing programmability and cloud topics pop up in the exams that are, um, that are relevant in those spaces. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, I so you had your dog moment. I'm having my brain moment. I I had a question, and uh, I was going to ask you what it was. Um, oh, so just a little bit for my listeners. So I'm curious because this is this is a big thing that I sort of I had a huge desire actually to work at Cisco for, for a long time, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like for a lot of people, it's like, oh, that's the holy grail. But maybe it's like if you're in software, it's working at Microsoft or working at Amazon. So what do you feel like if you're a software vendor or a hardware vendor or a whatever vendor in tech, what are the skills that those like big companies look for to bring people into their organization? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, I think that it depends on what role inside of the organization that you're, they're looking for. Um, well, well, let's talk your first role. Your first role was an SE. Yes. So, so let's talk about how do you become an SE? Because that's, that's also something that I've thought about in the past. Like, hey, maybe I want to go be an SE. That is a much easier question for me to answer. (laughs) Having done the job and also having helped out with several SE leaders um, in kind of doing some of the interview and and shaping what what different SE's uh, skills are needed, I would say that um, it's kind of the same types of things we've been talking about. So if we talk about the the technical skills, um, to be an SE at Cisco, you still obviously need to be very solid in the technology that's there. Now, Cisco's large enough that we've got networking and collab and data center and voice and all all of these other topic areas. So if you want to come in and be an SE focused in on Cisco's core networking pieces, then you do need to be a, a, a networking rock star. Like you have to understand networking very well. That doesn't mean you have to be a CCIE to come in and work at Cisco. I wasn't. I got my IE um, while I worked at Cisco. I came in as an NP and then stayed through to get my IE that was there. Um, But at the same time, I would say that if you want to be hired at Cisco today to be an SE, um, you would be hard pressed to find an SE manager that 
is not also looking for folks that have programmability and automation skills and interests and a bit of background. Um, you don't need to be a, a hardcore software developer for most of the roles, but, but understanding and, and having started going down the path of, of what the value of automation will be a huge benefit in that space that goes as it goes through um, in that area. So I think it's a, it's a bit of both. You, just like we've talked about to be a network engineer anywhere today, I think you need a bit of both skills. You need both of those um, to, to be an SE. There are other non-technical skills that, are, that make being a, um, a pre-sales or a sales resource at any, I think, organization um, there. There's, there's presentation skills and softer skills and pieces that go in on that. But on the technical side, it's, I would say it's a mixture of, of the, the core technology topic that you're interested in, be that networking or data center or collaboration, as well as kind of the automation and kind of the, the future direction and kind of where these technologies are headed. Okay. So let's, I, I wanted you to talk about soft skills a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, give me like top, you said presentation and, and you said other soft skills. So like SE, software engineer, you know, it is a sales customer facing role. Give me like a, a hit list of things that as you've sat through interviews, people have shot themselves in the foot. I, like during the, like, you're like, oh, this person would be perfect for this, but then they did X. Like, what are some of the things that people need to work on when they're pursuing that type of position? Um, listening to, to the questions are, are hugely important. Um, it, and I, one of the, the examples that would go through is as an SE, you, you probably have your own opinion and thought about what solutions might make the most sense or kind of a strategy to solve a customer's problem. Um, but there's a, there's a background on that customer's day-to-day -day work and, and history that goes through in there that may make um, so, some adjustments to kind of what, what makes the most sense for them. But you won't know that if you're not willing to listen. Um, I've seen plenty, I've seen this in interview processes and I've, I've seen plenty of people kind of as they've taken the journey into kind of this area, um, make the mistake of going into a meeting and, and pre-assuming they know what design or what product or what, uh, what strategy makes the most sense for that customer. And then just kind of not taking the time to listen and understand what the customer's needs are or, or why um, they're asking for something that you may not agree with. Um, so being able to listen and, and having an open mind, I think is a huge piece. Many of the, the sharpest engineers that I I know, um, struggle a bit with, with kind of thinking that it, kind of getting away from their, their initial thought or their gut feeling of what the right solution is. And sometimes the initial gut feeling may not be right for one reason or, or another. And it could have nothing to do with the technology. It could be something very, very different and, and business related that is driving a solution that may make no sense technically, but still is very important and, and important for that organization. So listening is a huge piece that goes in. Um, the ability to break down complex technical topics in a simple and easy to understand fashion, I think is, is another very critical one that goes through. Um, it's been a long time, I think, from when a Cisco SE could, could purely be successful by quoting data sheets and speeds and feeds. Um, yeah. there, there are so many protocols and products and, and software solutions and, and strategies that go through where 
it's just, it's impossible for every customer you talk to or every customer engineer that you talk to, to kind of keep up with it all. And so one of the jobs as a, as a sales engineer is to help take these complex topics and, and break them down and make them consumable by your customers and then by the, the IT leadership at your customer site so that they can see the value with what's there and having a, having a, that's a, that's a really um, important skill is to be able to take those technical topics and make them less technical or figure out how do you start to kind of peel back the the topic a little bit at a time so you don't overwhelm your audience with with immediately jumping kind of to the to the minute level of packet walks across the network before they even understand the value of what you're going through i think those are those are two that i would go through listening and then having that ability to kind of distill those complex topics into something that's a little less complex, I would say would be two good ones to work on. Okay. Awesome. I like that. I like that. So this is the time when I hand, you know, I hand over the mic to you and, you know, anything that you're interested in um, just to, you know, let my, let my listeners know about it. Oh, geez. Um, what am I interested in? I, I think that I, from a, a slightly related technical topic or just random interests? What, what, what Whatever, man. It's your time. You take it. So I, I would say that I'm, I'm interested in um, kind of the future. I, I love the, the, the commercial and consumerization of, of small hardware components. And I don't spend as much time as, as I wish I could just based on the time that's out there, but I've got piles of all of the, the new microcontroller boards and pieces and, and sensors and lights and LEDs and motors that sit here in the office. And I just love, I love tinkering with the pieces that are there. Um, I, I think if I was, if I was young again, going back and getting into it, I, I would probably go into kind of electrical engineering or mechanical engineering or some combination of the two of those because I love the IoT concept and, and how easy it is to kind of build and work with, with these electric electronic components that are there and, and just to get started in an easy fashion. I, I love all of the, the work that's out in that space um, from a technical side. And then I, on a more personal side, I, I, my family and I love to travel. We actually just got back um, last night. We, we returned from a, a short trip over to Iceland where we looked at glacier. Oh, wow, cool fields and and all the kind of the stuff that's out there so that's another piece that that i love to personally do is just to kind of get out and see the world and see what's there and and looking forward to kind of continuing that type of journey on that side so those are two for you that's awesome that's awesome i like it well thank you very much for taking time to to share your knowledge with our listeners how can they how can they get in touch with you if they have questions or you know want to find out you know if you're going to be in their town anytime soon yeah absolutely so i would say that um well first thank you so much for for having me on and, and having a great conversation this has been a ton of fun um and if anybody wants to follow me that probably the easiest way these days is up on twitter like i think many of us so i'm i'm at hf hf preston p-r-e-s-t-o-n okay hf preston is probably the easiest way to keep track i'm fairly active up on there with the different projects and activities that's going on events that i'm, I'm headed off to and things that are interesting so that's probably the, the quickest way to follow me and keep up is, is just to check that piece out there. And then, um, yeah, I would say that's probably the best way to go through it. I mean, there's still obviously all the, the email pieces that are there, but I would say that the, the, the social media is definitely far more 
real time active these days and trying to track and keep up with, with email connections and all the rest of that stuff. So very cool. Well, mm-hmm. I'll reach out to you right before the show goes live. You know, I actually, um, I couldn't remember how I knew Hank and then I, I just realized, Oh, I read, you know, I, I, I read through his book. That's how I know. Hank. Oh. <laughs> um, and, um, so I know you guys do, you do webinars every so often. Um, and that's how we connected. So I will try and include a couple links to the next few webinars you guys have. Um, and you know, guys go ahead and follow, uh, Hank on Twitter. If you do Twitter and if not, you know, check out his webinars. Like they, I'm not a huge fan necessarily of, um, webinars in general in the tech space because a lot of times it's a big sales push but i actually really appreciated hanks because it was not a huge sales push like it it wasn't yeah i I heartily endorse it (laughs) that's that's a format that i'm actually hoping that we can we're going to do quite a few more kind of in these these fundamentals and net devops and programmability topics so definitely and the easiest way to follow uh, what the activity on that is up on twitter either myself or the at cisco devnet account for kind of all of the things that, that DevNet's doing in the space. And you can keep track of, of updated webinars and different activities that are going through. And if you've got a topic you're interested in, uh, drop me a note, send me, send me a tweet, and we would love to get it up on the schedule. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing an hour with our, our listeners. And we look forward to following you on Twitter and seeing all the cool stuff you guys do. All right. Thanks, Preston. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it was great for you, and I hope you really appreciated it. I know that I love getting to talk to the people that are on this show, and it's just so exciting for me to get to share their stories with you. I just wanted to highlight a couple of things before we go. First things first, I want to reiterate, hey... There's coaching available for you. If you are interested in going the next step in your tech career, reach out to me. You can send me, you know, LinkedIn messages. You can send me a Facebook message. You can send me a message through my website. There's lots of ways to get in touch with me. I really want to be assistance to you to get you to the next level. So if that's something that sort of you've been thinking about and it's sort of stuck in the back of your mind, um, reach out to me. You know, I can, I can put you in touch with some of the people that I worked with in the past. And, you know, I just really want to be there for you. So if that's something that's been, you know, kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know, man. Nah, I don't know. You know what? Let's just talk about it. Other thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, when you're making a job decision, one thing that it gets in my way is, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Because typically in IT, we tend to be a little analytical and and look at things and, well, I don't know. So under the resources page, I've created something called a DAM, a decision analysis matrix. Really easy to go and download the DAM, and it allows you to look at positions from a non-emotional standpoint, and then we take into you know, take into context that emotional standpoint. The last thing I wanted to point out is the interview checklist because sometimes it's really easy to get wigged out before you're gonna go 
you know, have a phone interview, a video interview, an in-person interview. It's just simple two-page interview checklist that helps you prep before you go. So, hey, reach out if you have any questions. And again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later.